The following is a Red Apple Podcast Network presentation. They say this is a big, rich town. I just come from the poet's part. Bright light, city life, I gotta make it. Welcome to Dominic Carter's podcast. This is Dominic Carter's City Hall. Now, here's Dominic Carter. Red Apple Podcast Talk Radio 77 WABC. You can listen to me, Dominic Carter, Sunday nights, 11 p.m. to 1 a.m., weeknights at midnight. Let's keep it real. Young people are looking for love in all the wrong places. This is my podcast. Let's go. For years, Norman Seabrook, the former president of the New York City Correction Officers Benevolent Association, has been on the front line. And we did something growing up in the communities that we came from. We surely uh, got a ass whipping, if you will, from them and got home and got another one at the same time. But today, you know, so many young people are out here in the streets of the city of New York and Chicago and other places. They're looking for love. They're looking for love in all the wrong places. Uh, And that's why they join these gangs. So Seabrook joins us right now. And out the gate, let me ask you this question. So you and I share something in common. We had rough upbringings in the Bronx, New York, public school education. And I spent time today trying to figure this out. How did we make it out? when so many kids in communities around the country do not. I hope all is good, Mr. Seabrook, for you and your family. Knowing you, Dominic, I pray that all is well with you and your family because you do have a wonderful family. And yes, we made it, we made it out. And I think part of that is because we had people uh, in our lives uh, while we were growing up that cared uh, that much more for us. Um, I'm not saying that the parents today or the uh, individuals today don't care. They just don't show the same um, concern that they had when we grew up. If we did something growing up in the communities that we came from, we surely uh, got a ass whipping, if you will, from them and got home and got another one at the same time. But today, you know, so many young people are out here in the streets of the city of New York and Chicago and other places, they're looking for love. They're looking for love in all the wrong places. Uh, And that's why they join these gangs. And that's why they get involved in all of these uh, after-hour activities that certainly they should be home doing something else. But then again, you have the parent who uh, says, you know, I really can't do nothing with this kid anymore. He's out of control. He doesn't listen. He's threatening the parent these days. we didn't have that problem. Um, I, don't, I don't think very many people listening had a problem when their parent told them to do something. Yes, there are a lot of single households. We get that. I was raised by my mom. Didn't have a father there. He wasn't there. Was never there. But at the end of the day, that didn't stop me from becoming the man that she instructed me to be. So many times in our lives, we forget the basics. And I think in the city of New York, especially, we have to go back to basics. The basics are we have to give these young people something to do other than uh, love another person on the corner and join a gang. What do I mean by that? We got to open up the centers again. 
We got to get Job Corps back again. We have to give these young people opportunities and jobs. We have to give them something to look forward to as opposed to just giving them the same old rhetoric over and over and kicking the road down the can, uh, kicking the can down the road. What's interesting, and I, I, it wasn't a trick question, but I didn't want to guide you uh, in terms of, I, that's why I asked you, Norman Seabrook, an open-ended question. And you said you hit it right on the head, even though I asked the open ended question. And that is when I asked about why you and I made it out and so many other kids around the country do not. You said because there was someone special in your family and family. We know is a wide definition. It doesn't have to be a blood relative, but it was someone that cared and went over and above. And I just find it amazing because for me, it was my grandmother and my aunt Inez. And you just said it was your mother, but it was someone. Yes, absolutely. And I think that that, that's something that's missing right now because, Dominic, let's be candid with each other. People are afraid of some of these kids on the street. They're afraid of them because they don't know them. They don't talk to them. They don't communicate with them. Even the ones that are at home with their mother or or mother and father, they come in, uh, they get right on their uh, Instagram or right on their phone, and they're doing a whole bunch of other things, and there's no communication. There's nothing that allows them to have a decent conversation to ask, what are your interests, kid? I mean, what, what are you interested in besides doing this phone thing? Maybe if you just sat down and talked to them, they would understand. But what we're faced with right now is we've isolated ourselves. And I, want, I don't want to say it's them. Because we're the adults here. We, we're the adults here. We need to speak to them. It, 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 it's a matter of respect at this point. Now, you are going to have some that are going to rebel. There's no question about that. But you're not giving them anything else. You're not saying to them, okay, uh, you go to a kid on the street, you say, listen, I don't want you hanging out anymore. You know, you really should be studying and doing this. And then they say, well, what else am I going to do besides stay in the house? What, what else is there that you're offering me? Are, are you offering me something else? And, and that's why I don't understand how some of the things that are happening uh, in this country, in this city, are, are happening because people are just allowing people to do whatever it is that they want to do simply because it's not their job. It's not my job, so I'm going to let somebody else handle it. When you look at the problems that we're facing here in the city of New York, we got a migrant problem. We got a homeless problem. We got a mental health problem. We got a Rikers Island problem. We got a policing problem. We got a job problem. I could go on and on and on and on, but nobody wants to take responsibility. Everybody wants to get the job done, but nobody wants to do the work. To do. I, I hear you. Explain this to me uh, because I'm, I'm a little um, curious as it relates to this, and I want to talk politics with you and, uh, because you were the first union leader when no one knew who Obama was, you endorsed him. But we'll we'll get to that. And we are talking with uh, Norman Seabrook, who was the former head of the New York City Correction Officers Benevolent Association. So you and I, Mr. Seabrook, we, I don't know, maybe we're a little different. Maybe we're a little off. I don't know. Each of us will walk into the hardest communities without batting the eye. And I wonder about that sometimes. Why is that? You know, it's not that we don't bat an eye. It's that uh, it's almost like uh, an animal, an animal that uh, senses fear uh, in in a weaker animal. Uh, They will attack. 
when you show fear, you receive that. You know, when you show confidence in yourself, you receive that. So that's why we are and others are able to do that because, you know, these same jungle grounds that you're walking, I walked a long time ago, you know, and it's nothing different on the sidewalk that wasn't there 50 years ago. You know, when you look at it and you look at it and change the way you look at things, things you look at will begin to change. I'm not threatened by the young people. I, I embrace it. As a matter of fact, uh, when I left the church uh, this afternoon, I was driving by uh, a school in the Bronx, um, and I made a U-turn, and then I made another U-turn. And then I went back to the school because there was about, I want to say, nine or ten young black brothers standing outside in the parking lot with their jackets on and a basketball in their hand. And I pulled up into the parking lot, and I asked the coach, uh, Coach Pete, uh, is his name from the Bronx. I said, Coach, uh, I didn't even know he was a coach at the time. I said, what are you guys doing? He says, well, we can really go play a basketball game and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I, here's what struck me, and this is where I'm getting to. There were a couple of guys that were eating breakfast. They had their, you can see they had a little sandwich from the corner deli, whatever it was. Dominic, I felt compelled to reach into my pocket and give the coach a few dollars. And I said, whoever didn't have nothing to eat, give them something to eat. Because people did that for me, Dominic. I don't have money, you understand? But I have compassion, you know? I see something in these people, in these young brothers and sisters out here. But it's just you just have to take time to communicate with them. We're not doing that. We're quick to point the finger. We're quick to say, oh, well, well we got to do this, we got to do that. No, it's not. We, what are you going to do? Are you getting involved in this? Are you pulling down the shade or are you pulling up the shade? Are you trying to help a young person? Are you giving them a job? Are you offering them a job? Are you trying to mentor them or are you trying to shoot them down? What are you trying to do here? Are you going to the parents and saying to them, do you need help? Does your child need mental health help? Do we need to start putting money into the programs in mental health from K through 12? We need to start putting money into these centers that give these young people an opportunity to go someplace besides worrying about getting shot on the corner somewhere or stabbed like this 18-year-old that was just stabbed last evening here in New York City. We have to do something because if we don't do something, then we're part of the problem. And we are we are chatting with Norman Seabrook, a man that has been on the front line and remains on the front line. He's the former head of the New York City Correction Officers Benevolent Association. I want to ask you questions. And I do this, Mr. Seabrook, from time to time, and it leaves me depressed. A simple Google search, no matter what city or state you're listening to us uh, from right now, but a simple Google search and you put in youth crime and you'll get a million headlines. And I mean, within the last day to 24 hours. So I want to give you a couple of headlines. I'm going to give you one and I want you to respond. And this is one of the headlines here. And it happens to be in Syracuse, New York. People are listening to us right now from around the country, but this one is in Syracuse, New York. And the headline says a 15 year old teenage boy, 15 years old is dead after being shot in Syracuse Tuesday night. It's the latest tragedy in an ongoing saga of youth violence and crime in the city of Syracuse. Now, Syracuse is known as an upstate city in New York and for their sports programs at Syracuse University. How does this happen, Mr. Seabrook? Well, I think, in, in my opinion, not knowing all the facts in this, I think there's a couple of 
variables that go in, in my head that automatically comes to my head. People would automatically say, well, where was the parent? Well, the parent could have been working for all you know, for all I know. You understand? Maybe the parent can't control the kid anymore. Maybe the parent is afraid of the child. But now let's go to the child. Let's say the child was out two o'clock in the afternoon and this happened by a freak accident. I don't know. But, but we, we are fixated on the, the, the headline, but we don't know the whole story about it. It's like looking at, it's like looking at, looking at me. So people on the phone probably say, well, who is Norman Seabrook? Norman Seabrook did 22 months in federal prison for something that I still maintain my innocence of. But you see, I, that doesn't stop me from being who I am. That does, I'm not going to hide under a rock. You understand? I'm going to do what it is that the man upstairs has instructed me to do. I got to do and continue to do what I do. It's just like Khalif Browder that was locked up on Rikers Island. And he had a lot of, he had a couple of incidents on the island. And the island, he got, he got out of Rikers. He ended up hanging himself, killing himself, committing suicide. And that bothered me. It bothered me because there was no avenue for this young man. This young man maintained his innocence. He went over and over, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. They offered him a plea, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. At the end of the day, he's dead. He's dead because there was no outlet for him to release what was inside of him. And he went on. His mother did the best that she could. I saw the interview. You saw the interview. The world probably saw it. But at the end of the day, there has to be an avenue for these individuals that are suffering in these communities to release themselves. And it's not there, Dominic. It's just not there. But we spend hundreds of millions of dollars now we're spending on migrants coming from other countries into the United States of America. I understand other people want to come here. I understand that this is the land of opportunity, but there are people that signed up to come and they can't even get here because all of these other people have jumped in front of them. That's unfair. I think that when we continue to spend the money that we're spending on the individuals that are here and not investing in our own that are here and have been here is a damn shame. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. So, Mr. Seabrook, you, you know, everyone says they predicted that Trump would win and so on. But when Obama first started out, I mean, when he was he, he was nowhere on the national radar, you endorsed him. And I believe it was his first union endorsement. So you've got a stellar record at picking winners. How do you see this presidential race? Well, and let me say that I also was the only union leader to pick Mike Bloomberg. That's correct. From, that's from that's correct. That's correct. New York. Um, so, you know, you can look at my track record. I also predicted that George W. Bush would beat Al Gore and a certain newspaper, not to be mentioned, uh, tore me a new one until after he won. And then they were like, oh, maybe, he, maybe he's <laughs> on to something here. But be that as it may, I think that the election right now, the, 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 way, the way that it looks right now with all that's going on, um, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a toss-up because it's not solidified in any one uh, category. 
you're, you're, we're, we're faced with a lot of problems here. Uh, in, in, well, they're faced with a lot of problems in Washington, but we are faced with a lot of problems here in the United States of America. And I think that Leader Jeffries is doing uh, the best that he can uh, with everything that's on the table in front of him. Uh, because every, like I said before, everybody wants something done, but nobody wants to do the work. So this election right now, in my opinion, just my personal opinion, is too close to call. And, and why do I say it's too close to call? Because, you know, if you look at the way that things are uh, transforming uh, right before you, uh, gas prices are coming down, inflation prices are coming down, interest rates are coming down. That gives the common uh, person like myself and yourself the opportunity to see a possible light at the end of the tunnel. So in, in, the, in, in the Biden administration, I guess that's favorable, you would, you would say so. But then on the other side, you've got uh, individuals that, that will probably say that's only because the election is coming and that's why these things are happening. Be that as it may, Elections have consequences, but what's best for you and your family and your pocketbook is what people have to vote on. They can't, you just can't vote on emotions because emotions is just that it's an emotion. It's going to pass. It's, it's not real. It's just something that comes upon you for that moment. And then you're off to something else. Right now, people have to be really, really concentrating on what's best, not only for them and their families, but what's best for their community, what's best for the, the, the borough, what's best for the city, what's best for the state, and on and on and on. Fair enough. I mentioned, and we are chatting with Norman Seabrook, who is the former head of the New York City Correction Officers Benevolent Association. I mentioned that I was going to give you a couple of headlines from around the country as it relates to crime and young people. And just get your reaction. So here's another one that's also from Syracuse, New York. And the headline or the paragraph to the story reads, there could be an unlikely person helping to lead our community to the right path. From his first press conference, Fran Brown made it known that he wasn't just here to transform the Syracuse football program he wanted to transform the community, too. So in other words, Mr. Seabrook, the new head coach at Syracuse University, a major football program, says his job is not just football, but to challenge and stop all the youth crime that's going on. Your reaction? First, God bless him. And I think that he's doing the yeoman's work because I think that, you know, a person like him, watch what I tell you. He could run for mayor. He could run for mayor and he could win. Because he has the, the ability and, and the, the compassion to understand the challenges that these young people face on a daily basis. And he sees it firsthand. He's obviously talking to the players. He's obviously talking to the kids to be able to say, I got to do something here. Something uh, in his ear, in his head, made him go, I got to do something here. And everyone that's listening should join him and be a part of it. And you will see how you transform that community into a safer zone for not only the children that he's got under his, his watchful eye, but the children that are going to watch the other kids go, I want to do that too. I want to go horseback riding. 
I want to go uh, canoeing. I want to go up in the mountains, into the woods. I want to come out of the community that I'm in and see something different. I want to see and explore. You have children in the city of New York and in, in, uh, that's probably never been out of the city of New York, probably never been out of their borough for that matter, because they're isolated. It's a jungle sometimes and they're just locked down. And that brother, Mr. Brown, has an opportunity you understand, to make a change in a person's life. And that's what we were talking about earlier, Dominic, where somebody was in our lives that helped make that transition for us. And indeed, he's to be commended. That's the brand new head football coach at Syracuse University. I've got headlines for you from Memphis, from in Indiana. But I do want to ask you this. So politicians are, and it's about crime. Politicians around the country, for the most part, will tell you consistently crime is down. But we all know, Norman Seabrook, perception becomes reality. People from state to state do not believe that crime is down. How did crime get so out of control so fast recently? I think because if you're not allowed, well, a police officer job, is to enforce the law. A police officer's job is to write a infraction, summons, whatever you want to call it, for a violation of the law. If a police officer is not allowed to do his or her job, then that becomes a I don't give a damn attitude about it anymore because I'm not allowed to do my job. So it becomes a real problem in the city's throughout the country, all right, whether it be here, L.A., wherever it may be, because the individual that is responsible for doing the job cannot do the job, so they become discouraged. The person that's doing the job and working twice as hard to do the right thing all the time never gets the credit that they deserve in the police department or the correction department, and they're in the fire department, teachers, all over the place. They're not getting that but they're busting their hump to do it every day, Dominic. Every day they're out there doing twice as much, giving out of their own pockets, doing everything. But when the, the top echelon don't allow them to get the recognition that they deserve or give them the tools that they need to do the job, the system is going to explode. It's just a matter of time. It, it's not when. It's, well, I guess it's, it's, it's going to happen. Uh, you know, I'm not predicting it. I hope it never happens. But the way that we see the cycle going in the, in, in, the, in the world that we're living in right now, we're in AI right now. You know, if people are not familiar with how to operate and, and work with computers and AI and everything else, this group of people is going to be left behind. It's going to be horrible. Because they're going to become of age where they are going to be in their 60s or 70s or, or late 50s or whatever it is. And then they're not going to know anything. They're not going to know anything because they're concentrating on guns. They're concentrating on violence. We need to do something to be able to get these young people involved in learning more about technology and going forward. We don't need to be third, fourth, or fifth on the list of China and this one and that one that's all ahead of us because we have the resources, but we're just not applying them the way that they should be applied. We are chatting with Norman Seabrook, the former head of the New York City Correction Officers Benevolent Association. I only have a few more minutes left, so I do want to ask you this. I want to say something that's not politically correct, but I contend, Mr. Seabrook, 
that the message out of the George Floyd case tied the hands of police around the country. And I want to say something else that may be a bit more controversial for you, but I want to get your take on this. I believe that the Black Lives Matter movement has done more harm than good. You say what? Well, in as far as the George Floyd um, incident that occurred, um, after watching the tapes, I don't know what was in that officer's head, but it definitely, without a doubt, stained uh, the way that policing uh, was done in that particular precinct area, whatever the case may be. And it gave people uh, a opportunity to say, you see, they keep doing it. You see, you see, you see it. Now it's right on video. And what are you going to do about it? It really set off a firestorm, a firestorm of, of individuals that said, you know what? Enough is enough. It became that thing where enough is enough. Okay. Now, that being said, looking at the training looking at the, the policies and procedures that had to be put forth, uh, governing how a police officer is to restrain an individual, whatever the case may be. It's, it's just humane. That's all it is. You don't need to put your knee in someone's neck or you don't need to do this or you don't need There's a number of things that you could or could not do. Wasn't there, not going to Monday morning quarterback, what that man was thinking at the time. I don't even know whether he was insane. I don't know what was, what was going through his head. That being said, the Black Lives Matter uh, individuals, I think that the Black Lives Matter um, got totally dis- out of control because when you start destroying a community that you live in, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. It, you know, I mean, somebody has to go get pampers at that store that you just tore down or burnt down, down tomorrow afternoon for that baby that is home. I understand the rage. I understand the feel of you're being disproportionately treated differently than others. I can get it. I get it. I understand that. But at the end of the day, the, the, the process that you have to go through to make people get it at this point is let's do something constructive. Let's turn around. And now that we see that there are monies available to different communities throughout the city of New York through the government. Let's see about opening centers where we can train our people to understand. And when I say our people, I'm talking about the human race. I'm not talking about a black race or a white race or any other race. I'm talking about a Christian race, a race that gets the opportunity to say, you know what, there is a higher power than me, and I'm going to do it this way because the other way is not working. So I've got to try something different. This can't hurt me. The only thing that could happen to me is I end up exactly where I am right now. So let's go forward and try to build that confidence in the communities. Let's go forward and try to build that relationship in the communities one block at a time, one child at a time. It's not going to happen overnight, but the city of New York, the, the, the state of New York, we have to do something bold. And what I mean by bold is we have to just take the challenge. You've got individuals talking about closing Rikers Island. Rikers Island has four hundred acres of land. You could actually reconstruct a brand new state-of-the-art facility on Rikers Island and save billions of dollars compared to taking these same billions of dollars and building jails inside the communities, whether it's Bronx, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, because what you're going to do is, A, you're going to cause more traffic. Somebody's got to come to work. They're coming to work by car. Where are they going to park? You're going to have buses that are going to have to transport the individual from that facility to the courthouse. C, you're going to spend billions of dollars in that community. 
B, you're going to lower the tax. You're going to lower the home value in the community because you have a facility there. E, you're going to turn around and you're going to have seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 15-year-olds walking past this facility, going to school or supposedly supposed to be going to school in the morning, and you have these same individuals screaming at them at the window talking about, yo, go tell my man I said, what's up? And you're going to have these kids looking at this building saying, what is that? And then it just goes to the point where the parents say, oh, that's a jail, and if you don't listen, you're going to go there. That, you don't put that in a child's head. You don't make this child fear. To the point of saying, oh, that's a jail right there. I understand, but there's a way that you say it, and there's a way that you do it. I think, Dominic, there are so many things that you can do. You take to put the state-of-the-art facility on Rikers Island. You build that facility. You then take the other 300 acres if you want to, and you build a college complex. These kids get out of jail. You want to go to college here? You can go to college here. Other people want to go to college. You want to move them over. You're going to take the same space that you're talking about. we got to build more schools. Okay, so build some of those schools on Rikers Island. Take the high school kids out of the schools that are here now. Move them, bust them over there since they're all seniors now, and give that space available because now we're running out of space because of the migrants. So, you know, this is you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't sometimes. I hear the passion in your voice, Mr. Seabrook. We collectively have got to do positive things to fix the problems. We hear you on the damned if you do, damned if you don't. And that is all the time we have for this episode. Thank you, folks, for joining us. You can catch me on 77 WABC, weeknights, midnight to 1 a.m. Go check out the Dominic Carter merchandise at the 77 WABC store. From Dominic Carter t-shirts to hats and much more, Go to WABCRadioStore.com. Also, follow me on YouTube, where you will see videos from me about this podcast and the radio show, YouTube.com forward slash Dominic Carter. We will see you the next time. Dominic Carter, Red Apple Podcast, Talk Radio 77, WABC. Dominic Carter Socials on Twitter at Dominic TV and Facebook and Instagram. Dominic Carter TV. Email at Dominic.Carter at WABCRadio.com. Until the next episode, be well. And as Dominic always says, stay positive. The glasses always half full, never half empty. Dominic Carter City Hall. City Hall.